you can't change your self-talk if you don't have a mindfulness practice because you're not going to be conscious. Like you're literally not going to know what's happening if you don't take time to slow down and witness what's happening and really observe the thoughts. And then once I observe them, I can always choose a different one. Hey, I'm Ashley Agle. Some of you might know me as Ashley Burkhart, and I'm a former D1 and professional softball player who spent a few years coaching in the college game before deciding to put all of my focus into youth softball players and helping them make their dreams and their goals happen for them. It's our job to help them unleash their potential and become the athletes they've always dreamt of. I come from a small city in the Midwest and didn't let that stop me from making my goal of playing D1 softball a reality. No matter where you live, you have the tools to help you thrive. And I am hoping through this podcast to help you get there. On this podcast, you'll learn from Olympians, Hall of Fame coaches, and elite players what their journeys have been like. And you'll also learn from me and my family a bit of our journey through the game. I'm so excited to have you here. So whip out your notebook and let's learn how we can grow in this game together. Welcome to When the Cleats Come Off. Hey guys, it's Ashley Eggle. So excited to have you back for another episode of When the Cleats Come Off. I get to introduce to you today a friend of mine who I recently met for the first time. So glad we did because her work and what she does is really going to impact this community. I'm so excited to introduce you guys to Katie Cheadle. Katie has a master's in clinical psychology. She got it after she studied and played softball at UC Berkeley. And now she works with Olympians and CEOs as a high performance coach, helping athletes and professionals find their edge through elevating their mental game and shifting their mindset to enhance clarity, focus, and fulfillment. This episode is going to change the lives of everybody listening. Whether you're a coach, a parent, or a player, if you adapt some of these mindfulness practices that we talk about in this episode, you are going to see yourself become more of that high performer in whatever field you're in. I'm so excited to give you this episode. A few things that we talk about in this episode are the difference between stress and anxiety, which I learned tons about and didn't really think of them as two different things, but she explains it in such a beautiful way. We also talk about what to do when softball gets stressful, a little bit of a roadmap on what to do to de-stress yourself and get yourself right for the moment, why we should be celebrating failure and how we can celebrate failure, three A's when we're feeling stuck, so basically a roadmap of three things to do when we're feeling stuck or not realizing and having that clarity of what to do next. We also talk about what is high performance and how can we get there. So she talks about using strategies like breath work, visualization, positive self-talk so that you can become that high performer that when you're in a situation, you know exactly what to do. Your body has practiced this routine. She talks about how to implement it and so much more. One of my favorite things that we talk about too is how parents and coaches can help their athletes work on mindfulness themselves. And obviously we can't teach something that we don't know. So again, this practice is not just going to help athletes. It's going to be able to help the coaches and the parents like you who want to make an impact for your athlete. There is so much more in regards to mental training in this episode. And I'm so, so, so excited to introduce you finally to Katie Cheadle. Katie, I'm so excited to have you join the conversation. Welcome to When the Cleats Come Off. Thank you for having me. I'm pumped. 
Oh, me too. Ever since I met you officially in December of last year, which feels like 2020, but it was 2021, I heard you speak for the first time at Morgan Stewart's Groundwork, and I knew that the sport psychology world it's a part of the game that like isn't talked about enough. And you studied sports psychology. You have a master's in psychology. There's so much knowledge that you have. And I even took tons of notes from <laughs> when you talk. <laughs> and I'm it. just I'm just so excited for the audience to get to know you and your work and your story and all the things that you know about sports psych that can really help athletes become high performers. And that's what we want. Yes. And I, I think like what I love too about the work is beyond that, right? Because then at some point when the cleats come off for the last time forever, we still have relationship challenges. We have challenges at work with our boss and our family. And so I think like what we learn from sports psychology is so relevant in all aspects. So I'm pumped for yeah. the conversation. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I'm excited for exactly that too. Like a lot of parents and coaches are listening and they're in their own professions and right. they essentially, obviously I think everybody has this mindset of, I want to get better. I have this growth mindset and being able to relate the stuff that we're t we talk about here to your own life is right. going to be amazing. So before we dive into the 5 million questions that I have planned for you, can you share just your story and how you got into this field? Yeah, I was the kid that put that they wanted to be a sports psychologist as their career in fifth grade. And no way. Yes. And I read every book on like mindfulness. I got really into like, yeah, how to calm my nervous system because I was a really anxious kid. I would just read everything I could get my hands on. I remember the first book that really blew my mind. It was called Thinking Body, Dancing Mind. And they gave all these practices that could be incorporated into sports. So I remember I'd read a chapter a day and then I'd go practice with my dad or go practice with my travel ball team and like try and like use whatever tool I had learned from the book. I just was so into this. And <clears throat> I ended up going to play at the University of Georgia and I was in, you know, I had been part of the psychology as a major there. And that was my goal. And I ended up having a pretty brutal injury there. And I had to get a metal rod put in my shin and the whole, the whole thing that, that led to me not being as fast or as strong. I was a shortstop and like a leadoff batter. And then I did not have the range or the speed after this injury. And to make a long story short, the rod that was put into my shin was a centimeter too long. So oh most people would leave that in their whole life, but it was rubbing up against like my kneecap. And so my knee would get so big, Ashley. Anyways, I ended up having to get it removed. I ended up transferring to Berkeley, which is where I finished my softball career. I played third base because the range was never the same, uh, but I played at Berkeley my sophomore, junior, senior year. And I kind of, yeah, I didn't kind of, I did. I gave up on being a psychology major in undergrad because it would have, I wouldn't have been able to graduate on time and to be a psych major at UC Berkeley it was almost impossible to also be an athlete because of when mm -hmm. the classes were, I would like literally miss practice. So it was anyways, just kind of this, this weird unfolding. And I ended up after I graduated, I took my very first job offered to me as part of targets, executive development program and human resources. And what I quickly realized was, Oh my God, all the things that I was into in regards to psychology and sports, like it's the same in the corporate world. Like, People are under so much pressure. They just want to feel calm. They want to kill it on the presentation. They're driving sales, just like we want to win on the field. Like I was like 
coming up with all these connections. Anyways, did that for a few years. And then I ended up going back and got my master's in psychology and kind of found my way back on this path. And it's actually now in my work, I do a lot of consulting work with organizations, kind of merging my background in human resources and clinical psych. I still love doing that, but then I get to work with like badass athletes and professionals. Um, so I started my private practice in 2019 and here we are crazy year, like after my first year in practice and then COVID. But I think that really started a conversation about mental health and really started a conversation, especially for mental health with athletes, because athletes had to take a very forced timeout, which when I was in high school or when I was playing travel ball, that would not have been good for my mental health because softball was my outlet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that I think it's a blessing in disguise because we're having a lot more conversations like you and I are going to have today. Yeah, hundred percent. I love that you started geeking out about this aspect and started reading and researching and implementing it to your own game. And I believe that I have a story very similar to that. I took a sports psych class. It was part of my major. It was my senior year of college. And I, it was, I think it was like my spring season when I was taking it. And I was literally like, oh, this visualization thing, like, let me like try that out. And I'm just like, and so I was doing the same thing. I was like implementing it in my game. And I attest that class to the fact that I hit like 400 my senior year was strictly because I started using this stuff like breath work and mindfulness and just all that jazz. So this is, this is so exciting. And I'm sure when you went through all that injury and transferring, and I feel like that type of stuff that you studied before you got to college, you were probably having to use to get through the injury too. Uh, Yeah, I I would, I thought I like my college journey was, um, I think my probably biggest challenge with mental health, honestly, I um, was so gun ho going to the University of Georgia and doing my visualizations and waking up earlier before weights to like, you know, to do my mindfulness practice. And I had like a whiteboard with my goals and everything. I, I like went into college so dialed. And when I had this injury in preseason, my, my own teammate actually slid into my shin, stealing in a scrimmage and cracked the entire thing. Um, oh my gosh. Crazy. I know I went, I went dark. I, I think that I like sort of, it's kind of interesting. I, I geeked out on this in high school and at the beginning of my college career, but I went really dark with the injury because the thing that I loved the most <laughs> was taken away from me. And the thing that I had like made in my mind so many sacrifices for and was so dedicated to was taken away from me. I was across the country from my family. And I, I think it took, it probably wasn't until my junior, like junior season, se- senior season at Cal where I was like, let me get back to like who I am and like the things that make me happy and light me up. And yeah, I think to be, yeah. So to be honest, I think the injury, I, I actually like, it was a dark phase for me where I lost myself and then had to like find it again. I think it was easier for me to use these tools when I like had a controlled environment. And as Mm -hmm. I've gotten older now, I'm, you know, I'm not a young buck anymore. I realized that control is such an illusion anyways, which is why we're also freaking anxious all the time. We want to control everything. (laughs) Yeah. So speaking of which, softball itself is a stressful environment. I mean, there's a lot of pauses between pitches, a lot of times to overthink. It's a stressful game. So like, how do you use that stress and turn it into good? Or because they they always say like, stress is a good thing. You should have butterflies, right? That's, That's just you saying that you care about the situation. So how do you shift the stress and maybe anxiousness and turn it into like fearlessness and confidence. Yeah, I like to, I, I 
I like to also separate and differentiate like stress from anxiety. So stress mm. is any time we have like your viewers can't watch me. I'm like such a hand user, but like any time <laughs> that we come out of our baseline. So it's like, Ooh, there's a spike of cortisol. Right. And it can happen in LA traffic. It can happen when you're on like having a difficult conversation with someone. It can happen when you have way too much freaking homework to do and you've procrastinated like, Oh, stress and stress is part of the human experience. Now, like Ashley said, through breath work or visualizing or meditation, we get a lot better at staying at our baseline, but being a human, we're going to get spikes, right? And so stress is just a part of life. End of discussion, period. Now, anxiousness, and I think it gets thrown around a lot. We use the term anxiety a lot. Anxiety is all the stories we attach to the stress. So Mm. I'm in LA traffic. I get stressed because I might be late, but then it's like, oh, Oh, my boss might fire me or, oh my God, I'll never be considered for this position again. Or, oh my God, everyone is going to think I'm not organized or I'm lazy or I'm so, you know, I, I'm careless, right? Or let's, let's use a softball example, right? Like you're stressed because you're up to bat with bases loaded and two outs in the games online. That's going to get your heart going a little bit. I hope mm-hmm. that you've done enough work where you can take that deep breath and get regulated, right? You have the tools to do that. But anxiety is if you start telling yourself a story of, Oh my God, the college I want to go to, they're watching me. If I strike out, I, I'm not going to get to play there. Oh my God, I'm, I, I haven't gotten a hit in three games. I, there's no way I'm going to come through right now. Or this pitcher is so good or whatever it is. So I think knowing that stress is a part of our experience as an athlete and as a human, but anxiety is whether or not like our mind's working for us or against us. And so to go back to your question, it's like, okay, When I notice stress, if I'm mindful and conscious and can feel the stress in my body, we all have different tools that like bring us down, right? Mm -hmm. And I think, and you already mentioned it, like our breath is the most powerful anchor that we have. It regulates our entire nervous system. So it's like in that moment, if you could take a deep breath or use an affirmation or close your eyes and visualize yourself with that perfect swing and feeling the ball bounce off your bat, right? Like, man, that can regulate you. So then you can step into your courage that you can perform your best so that you can get in the box and know you're a badass and you can come through. Right. But I think a lot of times our thoughts end up working against us and we can spiral and that that's anxiety. Yeah. Wow. That's so well said. I've never thought about the two being different, but it makes total sense. I love that breakdown. So some people, they hear the word visualization, but they don't quite know what that is. Can you maybe teach some like softball examples of visualization. You, you shared one already, but I'm sure there's like many other ways that def- defenders, pitchers, hitters can all kind of use. Yeah. So visualizing. So interesting. I got to do some mindset work with some of the Olympic softball players. And oh, cool. it's so interesting that some people visualize and they are in their body, which is how all the research says that is how we should visualize. It's like you are actually in your body feeling what it's like to load, feeling what it's like to swing or pictures like, you know, your wind up um, and what it's like when the ball releases out of your hand, right? Like you are actually in your body feeling it. It's interesting that working with a couple of the Olympians, they actually visualized viewing themselves. Like it's almost like they were a spectator and and watching themselves do it. And so I think it's an interesting thing, regardless of what the research supports, it's an interesting thing to kind of notice how you visualize and what feels better for you, because I'm always a proponent of like, what's going to work for you? God, we're not all the same. But I think when when you're visualizing, you want to be in a relaxed 
state before you enter visualizing, because if you're already keyed up and anxious, you're teaching your brain that when it's game day or when you're playing to be keyed up and anxious. So I would definitely suggest taking a couple deep breaths and making sure you're in like a spot that feels good and you're just in a good, you've regulated your nervous system and you're feeling at peace. And then what, like from, I, I like the more specific we can get the better. So literally like hear your cleats crunch on the dirt going up to the box, have some noise in the background, like mom's cheering for you. Your coach is giving you a sign, like really break it down. And, and it's a rehearsal, right? It's you seeing yourself perform the way you want to perform on game day. And if you can attach a feeling to it, like how the bat really feels in your hands and like even feel like what it's like to take that deep breath and what it feels like when the ball goes off your bat, or like I said, the pitcher, when the ball releases your hand, or if you're visualizing on defense, being light on your feet, and then taking a great angle and making a backhand, right? Just like, it, it's just this fun highlight reel that you can play over and over and over again. And the more you do that, the more likely you are going to show up that way on game day. I love that. When I was practicing this my, my senior season, yeah. I remember playing at UCLA and I had like one of the best performances I've ever had against UCLA. We ended up losing, but that day, like it stuck in my brain forever. And I love sharing the story simply because that game and like how I felt, the bat felt like a feather in my hand. I really, I really understood being grounded and getting my front heel into the ground as a hitter. I'm mostly think, thinking about it from a hitter's perspective, but I literally was zoned in on the pitcher's hip. Like these are all different feelings that I had. And because that performance went so well for me, I actually took that and I used that exact moment as my visualization practice for like the rest of the season, especially like for when I was struggling or trying like I didn't really feel connected in my swing. I literally would just like take my breath, like you said, and kind of just like put myself back in that place. Like sometimes I'd close my eyes if I had to, but like that for me worked so well. And I didn't, again, like I, I wish I would have known that before my senior season, like the power of all of that. I love that. Ashley, when you visualize, are you someone who visualizes themselves in their body or are you spectator perspective? You know, it's really funny. I think I'm more in my body, but I have had moments where I thought of myself as like someone in the stands watching. It's, nice. I think I've had both, but in that UCLA moment, I always remember myself in my body, in like the present moment and right there, which is, I like, I can still like go back there and think about it right now. Yeah. yeah but it's so powerful and I'm telling, like it works so well. So I just wanted to share that as like a proof that this stuff is like, yeah. it's important. And, and I think too, you know, when, like, when should you practice it? I mean, obviously you shouldn't just do it on game day. I feel like this, this is a practice that should be worked on outside of games. Like when yeah. do you recommend putting in that work to get like yeah. mental reps in? I think, I think a daily practice is ideal. And this is what I also believe around breath work, right? It's like, we hear so much like on game day, like oh, pressure situation, take a deep breath. But if that's the first damn deep breath I've taken in two weeks, what? Right? So it's like, yeah. imagine every morning if you wake up and before you put your clothes on or whatever, it's just like closing your eyes and taking like 10 deep belly breaths. Like, wow, on game day, when you take that deep breath, you've already trained your body that that regulates the nervous system, like you're in business, right? And so mm -hmm. I think just like you guys, none of you would just go to hitting lessons the day before the tournament. Like none of you, it, it's the same thing. It's like, we really kind of got 
to conceptualize the mental game the same way we do the physical game. And I'm not saying by any means, if your travel ball team practices for six hours on a Saturday, you need to also visualize for six hours. Like we don't need, it doesn't need to be on this equal level, but it does need to be balanced in the sense of you have some daily practice because otherwise we can't really look at ourselves in the mirror and saying we're giving our mental game a chance if we're only implementing some of this stuff when we're performing. 100%. Okay. So let's dive into positive affirmations, positive self-talk, because like you said, COVID, and we're still in it, sadly, it really did a number on so many people, whether it's athletes, parents, coach, everybody. Like I think everybody struggled in that amount of time. I'm getting things taken away from you, being around family members more than normal. I mean, even my dog stresses me out more than he used to, but let I, I feel like specifically a lot of that led to me negatively self-talking to myself. And obviously that doesn't have to do with softball, but I feel like from my perspective as an adult now, I feel like it's all the same. Like whether you're a kid, an athlete, a parent or a coach, you, you go through times where negative self-talk is present. So how do you encourage people to work on that? What does it look like? How do you use it? I'm just so curious. Yeah, I think, Ashley, going back to your UCLA example, I think you show, you're showing us even today, you're like, I can still take my brain there. Imagine if you did that with like a game that was really crappy that you had. Like that's, Mm. our brain can also, like if we're having reels of how we sucked, are we're going to more, we're going to have more bad games ahead, right? So I think- Self-talk in the same sense, it's like if I am always telling myself no one likes me, coach is never going to play me, I'm never going to figure out how to hit the outside pitch, my rise ball sucks, oh my God, my first step so bad on defense, like you guys, it's it's probably going to stay that way, right? And so mm-hmm. we have to, I, I think my first thing when it comes to self-talk and affirmations is we can't fake the funk. We need to talk to ourselves positively. Absolutely. And I think affirmations are powerful for sure, but we confidence only comes when we are prepared or we know we're putting the work in. So first of all, like you need to know that if you are practicing the way that you should, then you also need to talk to yourself kindly. And I think this starts with mindfulness. I work with so many people that they'll, they'll say that, you know, at the end of the day, they're cranky or in a bad mood or snapping at their family or they don't know why. And it's like, wow, if we actually get like conscious and mindful and in our body, why is probably because we've been scrolling on social media mindlessly thinking about what we don't have and how other people are so much happier and more successful than we are, right? If we slow down, we might realize that when we looked in the mirror, we were like, oh my God, that zit, that wrinkle, that roll on my stomach, my flabby arms, oh, my gray hair, right? Like, oh, I'm not as pretty as this person. Like, We are judging ourselves and putting ourselves down and criticizing ourselves all the time. If that was a roommate, we would think they were neurotic, right? But that uh-huh, our yeah. brain, like we are our roommate. And so I, whenever it comes to self-talk, Ashley, I'm like, you can't change your self-talk if you don't have a mindfulness practice because you're not going to be conscious. Like you're literally not going to know what's happening if you don't take time to slow down and witness what's happening and really observe the thoughts. And then once I observe them, I can always choose a different one, right? Because mm-hmm. thoughts aren't facts. They're going to come in all the time. Some are crazy. Some are cool. Some are weird. Some are mean, right? Like 
thoughts are going to come, but we get to choose which ones, you know, which ones we, we find that serve us. Um, and I, I laugh at some of my thoughts. I'm like, Ooh, that wasn't mean or Ooh, that came from 12 year old Katie that was insecure and wanted dad to be proud of her. That was mm. kind of get curious about where they're coming from. Right. Um, and so I think going back to your question, I know I've just been ranting, but mindfulness, like we have to have some way of slowing down and observing what's even happening in our brain before we can choose to change them or to use more positive affirmations. It's listener shout out time. I love reading reviews. And the one place where I can actually see reviews is Apple Podcasts. And I know the majority of you are listening from Apple Podcasts. So if you haven't rated the podcast, please do that. And please write me a review. This week's shout out goes to Diamante Fish. I probably butchered that, but they wrote this simple, simple line that said, thank you for this. We will put it to work. And that is one of my favorite, favorite reviews simply because I hope that the things that you're learning in today's episode, last week's episode, other episodes that we've done, you are able to feel like you can have a roadmap or a checklist to put some of this stuff to work. So thank you so much for this amazing review. And if you want to be shouted out in a future podcast episode, please head over to Apple Podcasts and write a review of the podcast. If you're not feeling up to it, you can always send me a DM on Instagram or Facebook. Always love hearing what you guys have to say or just some thoughts that maybe come to mind from these episodes. I just want to thank you so much for spending that extra time, that 30 seconds after a podcast listen to write me a review. It really and truly means the world. All right, let's head back to this episode. This is a question that I've been wondering forever, and I'm hoping you can at least help me think about it in a different way. Are thoughts something that like come from us or is it coming from something that we heard somewhere else? Or, or like, I'm, I'm really curious to know because I feel like when someone says, oh, my rise ball sucks, that was an example you said, like who put that thought there? Like, is it always you or does it come externally or, or does it come from comparison mostly? Yeah, I don't know all, if like, that makes sense. Like all the above. And it's so interesting. There's even like, I mean, one like, Thoughts can come from memories. Thoughts can come from um, visions. Like our eyes are so connected to our thoughts. So like visually what we're seeing, thoughts are judgments. Like thoughts are past stories or things people say. Thoughts are things, I mean, I don't know how woo-woo everyone is, but like there's generational traumas and things that have happened or that we feel culturally. I think about artists I work with that are like so afraid they're not going to make it. I'm like, where does that fear come from? Well, our society for centuries and centuries are like, there's this idea of the, sh- the struggling, hungry, starving artists. It's like, oh, yeah. that doesn't have to be your truth, right? So I think, again, mindfulness of just like noticing and getting curious about where is that coming from? Does that serve me? And then like, what do I want to choose? Because yeah, actually like thoughts come from a number of different places. Number yeah. of different places. One practice I like to do with my hitters in the cages, um, like for example, if they roll over, So like I have a righty, she rolls over to the third baseman. One practice that I like to implement is, okay, so you rolled over, obviously not something that you like hitting a dribbler to the third baseman. I always like to tell them to think opposite. Like, okay, what's the opposite of rolling over to third? Okay, driving it to right center. Like that's the opposite. 
make that your gun ho plan. Is that something, is that kind of around the ideas that you're, you're saying? Yes. I love that. Okay. I, I love doing the opposite. And I, I think I might've said this in my talk when I, when we were with defense club, but yeah, like if you are constantly stressed out and feeling pressure about your performance, go fail at something, get comfortable <laughs> with failure. I think about yeah. the CEO of Spanx. It's Blake something. I always forget. Sarah her name, Blakely. But yes. Sarah Blakely. Yes. Sarah Blakely. I love this story. At, every <laughs> night at dinner, her dad's like, what'd you guys fail at? And if they didn't, He's like, why aren't we growing? Like, what, what, what are we doing here? You didn't fail at something today. Like, it's like literally put yourself out there. Like, try to spell a new word. Like, try a different exercise. Like, anything. Swing left-handed and with a couple balls. Like, I don't care. Like, but get out of your comfort zone. And I think actually, to your point, that's like flipping something on its head. It's like we're so rigid and so tight. We want to be so good. And it's like, what if you just fail? Like, what would that feel like? You know? Mm -hmm. And I think the more comfortable we get with it, then it's not going to scare us so damn much. That's so funny. So on your website, I actually saw that you love the quote, failure should be celebrated. How can that look? You know, you just mentioned Sarah Blakely, which by the way, is one of my favorite stories to tell too. Uh, I love that her dad did that. What are other ways that parents or coaches can encourage failure? Yeah. Oh, I love that. I think I think one, like going around the table and doing that cool practice and then like, and, or even like who had the biggest failure of the week. And then like, like celebrating that in some way, I think too, like car rides home. I don't know. I had some brutal ones growing up. Like you can use, and I I think even about some of my clients, it's like, damn car ride homes with parents sometimes are so brutal. Let's change the narrative with that, you know? But I think when a kid struggled in a game or like, man, like they really had some bad at-bats or do they made some poor plays or some mental stuff, right? We don't ignore it, but it's like, how as a parent or a coach, can you really challenge the kid, the athlete to, to start to think, what did you learn from that? All right. Mm. Yeah. That, that sucked. That, that was uncomfortable. We don't want that again, but like, what did we learn from them? And then celebrate that of like, Ooh, okay. Now that we know that, where can we go next? Oh my God. You really struggled. You struck out five times this weekend on changeups. All right. I'm pumped. Cause this week, that's what we're going to work on. Keeping mm-hmm. your weight back, right? Like whatever it is, I think parents and coaches can get pumped about the growth. And I think that helps the kid's brain be like, okay, failure is not the end of the world failure is an opportunity for me to get better. And mom and dad are pumped about it. My coach is pumped about it. Now we're like changing the narrative and the kids juice to, to level up. Yeah. It's literally a roadmap. I mean, it's a you roadmap. think about it, I love that. if you have a hitting lesson and man, oh man was the low and inside pitch. I always think about hitting that was really exposing you. Well, great news all week. Guess what you can work on and guess what you're going to grow at. Like you just consistently think, how can I, or what, when I take a lesson or I take a game, how can that moment teach me what to work on this week? It's like, that's the ultimate growth mindset. And those just accumulate to, to greatness. Oh my gosh. Yes, I love oh, I this love conversation. That. Love the roadmap. I love this conversation. Um, <laughs> okay. So when we were at Morgan's Groundwork, you mentioned the three A's when feeling stuck. Yeah. Can you go through those three A's? I really loved them. I wrote it down in my own notebook and it was one of my favorite things you talked about. Yeah, I, I love it because it works with sports, but uh, to be quite honest, like this works in life, um, especially mm-hmm. when we notice like a pattern of, God, I'm always 
triggered with my mom or like if you notice there's a relationship pattern of when you shut down or when you get emotionally, you know, more expressive, whatever, it, it can be used in every situation. But we can't, it's it's kind of like a paradox that we can't really change or have movement without also accepting where we are. And I find with athletes and high-performing professionals, sometimes they hate this word acceptance because it means that we like, we're just accepting it as it is, or we're throwing in the towel and like quite the opposite. But mm-hmm. the first, the first step of the A's is like acknowledging, like, this is where I'm at. I am batting seventh. I haven't gotten a hit in 28 games. Like I'm like, this is, this is where I'm at. We have to like really acknowledge it. Now, acknowledgement for most of us, like I think sometimes it's like, yeah, it sucks, but then we kind of keep it moving, right? Or we like push it away or we don't really want to address it. But acknowledgement, first step, we've got to kind of like put it out there, say what it is. Acceptance is, okay, and I, I I realize like deeply that this is where I'm at and this is how I got here. I'm betting seventh and I haven't gotten a hit in 28 games because I haven't worked on the things that I need to do. I've been hanging out with my friends. I've been partying. I've been missing practices. I've been whatever, right? Like, I keep avoiding working on the pitch I have to do. It's like really acceptance is different than acknowledgement because acknowledgement is like surface level. At least I'm not in denial anymore. That's step one. The second A is acceptance of like, how did I get here? And then mm-hmm. am I willing? Is there a willingness and an ownership to really go into the third A, which is choosing an alternative action, which is like, okay, so what I'm doing is not working. Like, and sometimes maybe this means like, choosing, like Ashley said, like doing something completely opposite, right? But we keep trying different behaviors until we figure out what lands. And so sometimes it would, we'd be crazy to think the same hitting drills work for every single athlete. We'd be crazy to think the same pitching coach is ideal for every pitcher. We'd be crazy to think the same fielding drills work for every athlete. So I think when you're an athlete and you're like, I cannot figure out my backhand, like we have to, we have to acknowledge it. My backhand is not where it needs to be, except why? Like, what do I really, what, what do I really need to do to improve my backhand? Like what, how did I get here? Like all my teammates have a good backhand. Like, what are they doing that I'm not like really sit with it? How do I feel that my backhand's not there? Do I feel nervous and get on game day? If someone hits a ball to that, to the right side, like what, like really just own it and then come up with a plan that is different because you guys have all heard the def, you know, the definition of insanity is continuing to do the same thing over and over again. It's like, what can we do differently? And if that doesn't work, what can we do differently? It's all about alternative action. I love your description of this. And I love that, you know, every single question that you just asked is something where if you have a youth athlete who doesn't really know how to think for herself or is figuring herself out, if you can prompt these questions for your athlete and just just ask, I think that's, it helps them kind of like think differently, think outside the box and actually create solutions for problems instead of just sit and sulk and feel bad and then grab our phones and then feel even more bad, you know? And I love, I love what you just said about like, just ask whenever I work with coaches or parents and they're like, what's the best thing we can do for our kid? Like whatever. It's like, stay curious. Like, I think sometimes we feel like whether it's our age or it's our knowing or it's our sports knowledge, it's like we think we have all the answers and we're like telling them what we're seeing and we're telling Mm -hmm. them how they feel and we're telling them what they should do. And I think it's so much more empowering for our athletes if you can just get curious, like, how did that feel when that happened? Like, okay, what do you want to do differently? Are you still liking the drills we're doing? Uh, Do you want want my opinion on it or what I'm thinking or what, like, 
probing questions of being curious. And I know, I think this is why so many people go to therapy. And I think this is why working with a coach or a therapist sometimes feels good. It's because we're so curious about your experience. We're asking you so many questions and we're just, you get to kind of find out for yourself what's right. And I think parents and coaches can do that. Um, and and it, it's just, it's such a win-win because that athlete's going to want to go to you because it feels good. And they're going to feel mm-hmm. like their voice is heard. And they're going to also feel like agency because the answers are within them, you know? Mm-hmm. That's so interesting you say that because I think one of the biggest things that parents and coaches ask me is, how do I get my athlete to talk to me more? And I think exactly what you just said is create an environment for her to think, create an environment that she likes being in and allows her to feel accepted. You know, I think, and I'm not saying people don't do that, but I think just giving her the space to have her own thoughts and you encouraging those thoughts, it's like, yeah, maybe she'll actually tell you what she learned at school that day because she actually wants to tell you, you know? Uh, Yeah, get curious, less judgment, more curiosity. I love this so much. And I hate that we have to ever have to end this conversation. But before, I'm going to end with this thing that I call Five to Thrive, where I ask you five rapid fire questions. Oh, God. I'm um, nervous. I know everybody gets nervous, but you're an athlete. Like, you can, you can do this. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> I love it. But before we dive in, how can people who are really interested in what you do and what you coach and how you coach, how can they follow you or find you? Yeah, I'm on Instagram at Katie Cheadle and my website, katiecheadle.com. That's kind of where those are the best places to find me. I love it. I love it. I might have to sign up for some coaching for me. Let's be real. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Okay, so five to thrive. First question, what's your favorite mindfulness practice? Ooh, breath work. Mm. Can you elaborate? Why? Why breath work? Yes, it is. it is the most it's our life force. (laughs) So it is something that I've access to 24 seven, I would say a walk or meditating, but that's not always possible. I can always no matter what situation I am in, connect to my breath. And so my breath work practice, where I really like try and alter my breathing that that allows me in any moment to just kind of like even even on this vibe to thrive of like taking (laughs) a deep breath and getting regulated. It's the most powerful practice. Did I give you enough time to take a breath? I did. I I, I still did it. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So this is actually going to be up on YouTube so people can actually witness that you took a breath before we did (laughs) I love it. Okay. Next question. How would you define confidence? I think confidence, I'm going to steal this from Rachel Hollis, but I think confidence comes from following through on the commitments you make to yourself. I think when I tell myself I'm going to wake up at 5 a.m. and go to the gym and I do it, I feel like I'm a badass. I think when I say that I'm going to achieve a goal and I put the work in and I do it, like I just build on confidence. And so I think it's our job. Um, I think as parents and coaches to help our athletes, like make little commitments and follow through on them because that you just start to feel so damn good about yourself when you do that. And we cannot be confident without preparation and like having those, like following through on those commitments. So good. Yeah. I think I remember you telling me you're into podcasts. I am. Okay, great. Do you have favorites? What are some of your favorite podcasts that you listen to? I'm really into Michael Gervais. I think it's like compete to create right now. Do you listen to him? No, not yet, but I'm about to. Oh, yeah. He like works with some of the best athletes in the world. And he is like the guru of integrating mindfulness with high performance. So like I love Mm. the flavor of everything that he, everything that he does. I don't know. I like, I like Tim Ferriss. I like Rachel Mm. Hollis. 
I love mm-hmm. Soul Sunday. Give me some Oprah. Like, <laughs> so good. Yeah. Yep. I love it. I love it. What was the, some of the greatest lessons your parents taught you growing up? I haven't thought about like young Katie in a while. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I think to always bet on yourself. I think that's something like that I'm able to come back to and maybe was instilled in me from like a young age of just, yeah, just really trusting that, yeah, that I've got it. Like, you know, um, and I think even, I think that allows me like through life when I do have failures, it's like, if anyone can come back from this, it's me. Like always bet on yourself. And I think, I think Beyonce has a quote about this. Like, it's Mm -hmm. just, she would always bet on her. And I, and I love that. I think my, I think my parents instilled that, that in me of like, you will always figure it out. You got it. And I I think I, I really believe that. So no matter what life throws at me, there's kind of this deep knowing of I've got it. And it's no different than any of us. Humans are like, we are resilient. Like we are some resilient beings, but I think if you can really tap into that, powerful. Mm, So good. Before I ask the final question, Mm -hmm. this has been so much fun. Like I obviously didn't get to every question that I wanted to ask you, but you're a (laughs) badass human teaching athletes and just people in general, just how to be badass themselves. And I truly believe every, anyone that listened to this episode is going to really take away a ton. So really, really Uh, grateful that you could be here. I know this has been so much fun. Okay. Final question for anybody that doesn't know where to start with mindfulness practices or just high performance in general, where's a good place to start? I think grabbing a journal (laughs) is the best place to start. And I think a a really like reflective practice that I like when it comes to performance is yeah, just journaling, like your intention, like you're going to a batting lesson with Ashley, like, okay, what do I want to work on? How do I want to show up? How do I want to feel? Just kind of like write about it. Maybe do a quick two minute maybe even 60 seconds, close your eyes, visualization of what it's going to be like. And then afterwards, go back, what worked, what didn't, how do you want to go from there? And I think that is a mindfulness practice because you're tuning in and you're being present. You're not thinking about tomorrow's game. You're not thinking about what happened at school. But then from a high performance perspective, you're, you're teaching your brain that like we go into a setting with a plan afterwards we figure out what worked what didn't and we have a growth strategy moving forward so i think the first step for anyone like never done any of this stuff buy a journal and then start like a really basic reflective practice Mm, beautiful i know some people are going to definitely hop on that as soon as this is over oh good (laughs) this is so good i so much enjoyed this and i desperately need you back on at some point in time i know you're very busy but this was so much fun thanks so much katie yeah thank you ashley bye guys So there you have it. Another episode of When the Cleats Come Off is completed. And if you loved it, I would love if you shared this with your softball community. The only way this game grows is if we have people like you that are eager to learn more and are eager to also share that new knowledge with other people. So if this episode really brought somebody that you know, 
into fruition in your brain and you know that they can learn from this conversation, I would love it if you shared it with them because the more people that can learn from this type of conversation, I think the better the game of softball gets. And who knows, maybe this will be shared with other people in other sports because I truly believe some of these conversations, they don't just hit the game of softball, they hit all sports. And if there are people that come to your brain, I would love more than anything if you shared it. If you do share it, make sure you tag me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever social platform you hang out on. I would love to see that you're sharing this and I would love to see some of your favorite parts. If you do share it, make sure to tag me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Guys, I'm even on TikTok, Ashley B Training and at Smashley underscore four is where you can find me. And make sure you tell me which part was your favorite. I want to know what resonated with you so that I can create more content like that for you to share with your softball community. I can't wait to share another episode with you. Same time, same place next week. See you later.